1: The Earth Destruction Directive.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host Luke Giaconetti, I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And I hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we took a look at the classic SNK arcade game King of the Monsters, had a whole lot of fun doing all of my, <clears throat> air quotes up to the mic, research for that game, getting to play lots of King of the Monsters on my Switch Lite, a lot of fun there doing that. But today we are venturing back into the world of film and uh, we've got a doozy because we are going to take a look at the final film in the Showa Gamera series Gamera Super Monster, all the way from 1980. And, uh, that's a pretty infamous film in the Daikaiju circle, so, uh, interested to take a look at it, but first, we do need to cover the news. So, up first, Howl from Beyond the Fog is now available for pre-order on Blu-ray from SRS Cinema. You might remember them as the same outfit who released, uh, the DVD and Blu-ray, and actually VHS copies of Rago, King of the Sea Monsters, Raiga, God of the Monsters, uh, God Raiga versus King Oga, as well as Attack of the Giant Teacher. Now, Hell from Beyond the Fog is a, a very uh, intriguing-sounding film, and I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of positive buzz about it. I'm just going to read you the description from the SRS uh, web store, and that should uh, that, that should inform us. Set in Kyushu during the Mijai period, a blind girl named Takiri and the blind monster from a nearby lake named Nebula Fight against greedy developers who threaten to take over her family's land. Using an all-puppet human cast and a fantastic monster suit, it offers a new aesthetic in the world of kaiju films. And um, if you go to srscinema.com and go into their web store, you can take a look at the trailer. This looks, this looks like unlike anything I've seen in a, in a long time. The the um, the suit for the monster was designed uh, by Keizo Morase who was a designer of the original Varan suit. He also did Mighty Peking Man and the H-Man along with others. He did all the monster effects in this film, but it, it really looks incredible. It looks like a, a very unique storytelling. And like I said, this film has a lot of positive buzz. So originally SRS was going to put out a run of 200 copies of this, but apparently that sold those pre-orders sold in the first day of pre-orders. And now what the deal was is that the first week of release for pre-order, if they sold those 200 copies, they were going to up the printing to a thousand copies. So as of this recording right now, it is still available. It is 1995, which is not a bad place at all for a, a Blu-ray, uh, especially for a, you know, not exactly a blockbuster well-known film like this. And it's still available. Go to srscinema.com and go into their store and you can find it. So, definitely check that out. In additional independent Daikaiju news, the monster Nosferadon is now available from Titanic Creations. Now, you might remember my brother Jason and I, we talked to Titanic Creations head honcho Mac McClintock. But a couple of years back when he was launching his first monster, Titanicus, and uh, that like Titanicus, Nosferidon is a, a full size, not full size, regular size uh, vinyl monster. He scales with all of your Bandai uh, and similar ska- uh, scale vinyl monsters. Uh, you can see pictures on my Twitter. If you go to at El Gicone, I put up a couple of pictures of Nosferodon when I got him in the, in the mail. Very, very high quality, very well-designed monster. Um, Mac does some really good work with these. And, uh, I have Nosferodon right now posed with Titanicus and the two of them look great. They, they really do look wonderful and they pose very nicely with all of my Bandai, uh, giant, uh, Uh, Daikaiju, vinyl Daikaiju. Uh, Now this, uh, you can check this out on titaniccreations.com. They've got all the pictures and everything. Also interesting to note is that this does come with a comic. So you do get the story of Nosferodon as well. He's not just a monster. He does have a little bit of a history and an origin as well. So I'm hoping that we're going to get the other monsters from the Titanic Creations pantheon of monsters. I've really enjoyed these first two and always looking to support you know, uh, smaller efforts and, uh, you know, homegrown efforts, it's, you know, part of the great thing about this community is a lot of folks out there doing creative stuff. So please go to titaniccreations.com and check that out. I think you'll appreciate it. In even further independent Daikaiju news, Notzilla has been released. And this is a giant monster spoof which uh, just came out to Video On Demand DVD and Blu-ray last month in August. Uh, hat tip to Mark Kallenbach for reminding me of this. I had seen a bunch of these targeted on Facebook, and I had seen it on Sci-Fi Japan, but I for- really hadn't made much of an impression. Uh, but Mark uh, sent me a message on Facebook, and I took a look at it. And it's like, okay, I-, I probably should mention this. Now, the The basic premise of this is that there's a, a monster egg that is found in a little reptilian baby monster hatches out of the egg but once the monster is fed beer it grows giant and goes on a rampage now it looks and sounds fairly ridiculous and it's definitely low budget but you know as an indie film and a comedy i think those things are expected uh so you know what i think maybe you should just go visit notzilla.movie and make your own make your own judgment on that Uh, i'll not gonna lie, I'll probably end up picking this up and, and covering it on the show, at least in, in some capacity, because it looks like, I mean, it looks like silly fun, and I'm okay with silly fun, especially if it's supposed to be a comedy. Now, in... Ultraman news. We've got a couple items here. Up first, Marvel's The Rise of Ultraman number one, the first issue of their Ultraman limited series, has been released. I don't have my copy yet. I am waiting on my shipment from DCBS, Discount Comic Book Service, which is the mail order service that I use to get my comics. Uh, But my good friend, both friend of the show and real-life good friend, Adam Tebow, he hooked me up with the scoop of what's in that first issue. According to Adam, there's a main feature, which is obviously the Ultraman story. There's also an Ultra-Q backup, which sounds like a great idea, because Ultra-Q really seems like it would be well-served for a backup, because just little mystery stories. That sounds like a really great idea. I'm eager to, to check that out. And also, apparently, there's some comedy shorts with Pigmon. And that just sounds fantastic. Pigmon's a great character for a little gag sort of uh, one-pager or two-pager whatever type of of, uh, of comic. And I think that would be a nice way to round it out. And it really does seem like it's covering kind of the breadth of Ultra, not just focusing hard on on you know Hayata and the original Ultraman. It looks like it's trying to cover a lot of bases. So I am uh, very eager to get a hold of this. Like I said, I've got to wait a few more weeks from when I'm recording this for my box to ship. Uh, there was, you know, basically some of the delays because of the uh, American comics industry essentially putting itself on pause over the summer with uh, with the pandemic. That uh, some of the shipments got delayed, and so I, I just didn't get a shipment this month. But it will be here soon. And I, right now, my plan is to maybe just give some quick thoughts on the first issue and then cover the whole series when it's, it's completed. That's that's kind of the plan right now. We'll see how that goes, but definitely going to be hearing more about Marvel's Ultraman in the future. And my last bit of news, the second bit of Ultra news, uh, Subraya Productions has announced Ultra Galaxy Fight, the absolute conspiracy. This is their new YouTube show set to debut sometime in winter of 2020. And now as I'm recording this, earlier this week, it was the first day of fall 2020, so... So we're, we're closing in on this date. Uh, and according to Subaraya, this is going to be available in Japanese, English, and Chinese. So I'm assuming it's going to be uh, simply subtitled like we get with uh, the current series, Ultraman Set. Now this is the sequel to the previous series, Ultra Galaxy Fight New Generation Heroes. Right now it's slated to be 10 episodes with a total of about 90 minutes of content. And it's going to be set before Ultraman Z, which I think is pretty cool. And according to Subaryan, numerous Ultra Heroes are slated to appear, including, now get this, Great and Powered, the two Ultra Heroes from the two English language Ultraman series from the nineties. Ultraman towards the future and Ultraman the ultimate hero. So I will be very interested in seeing those characters as well as all the others. Now I'll be the first to admit I I fell behind on Ultraman Z because I'm I'm still kind of a, a slow to adopt to watching a show every week on YouTube. I was talking to my friend Bob about this actually just the other day in different context. We were talking about wrestling, not Ultraman, but kind of the same idea. I've never really gotten into the groove of getting that notification and going and watching immediately on YouTube, especially for a 25 minute episode. But with these, with them only being about nine minutes long, I think I have a better chance of of being a more successful viewer of this series. Let's let's put it that way. Because even I can carve out you know, 10 minutes to squirrel myself away and get away from everything else and just watch the episode. So very much looking forward to that. Hopefully, we'll, as I said, we're, we're closing in on winter. So hopefully we'll hear something um, further about that very soon. And hat tip to Sci-Fi Japan for providing me with this information. So that's what I've got. If you have any news about the uh, strange world of uh, Daikaiju that we're all fans of, please send it in. Directive at Yahoo.com. We'll talk about it here on the show. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna take a look at Gamera Super Monster here on Earth Destruction Directive.
1: Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network.
2: We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy.
1: Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics.
2: Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future.
1: Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs.
2: Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes.
1: Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows.
2: Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books.
1: And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories.
2: Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages.
2: That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren.
1: Alright,
0: we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Gamera Super Monster was released in Japan on March 20th, 1980. Uh, by New Dai, we'll talk about them in a little bit, and it was released directly to U.S. television by Filmways TV in 1983. Now, a quick note on the title. This film is now universally referred to as Gamera Super Monster, but for a while in the 90s and the 2000s, it was usually called Super Monster Gamera here in the West. I can find no direct reference to this specific title, in any of the research I was doing for this episode, but I distinctly recall it being called Super Monster Gamera, not Gamera Super Monster. Now, that may just be my brain playing tricks on me, but uh, I'm sure if I dug up enough stuff from back then that I would find that title. But be that as it may. Our director is Noriyaki uasa The writer is Nissen Takahashi. Our special effects are by Noriyaki uasa And there are a bunch of producers listed. Our producers are Hirozaki Obu, Shigeru Shinohara, Yasuyoshi Tokuma, and Masaya Masayaya Tokiyama. Excuse me. And our story goes a little something like this. Sometime in the future, the alien Xanon decides to invade Earth using a massive spaceship. He is opposed by the superheroic spacewoman. Kalara, Marsha, and Mitan. Zanin sends his agent Garugi to Earth to eliminate the heroines. Meanwhile, young Keichi is gifted a pet turtle by Kalara in her secret identity guise as a pet shop owner. Spurred on by his mother, Keiichi releases the turtle back into the wild. Zanin sends the monster Gauss to destroy the Earth, but the supersonic monster is met by Gamera and defeated. Keiichi believes that Gamora is his pet turtle and hooks up with the space women to support Gamera and avoid Garugi. Next, Xanon sends the monster Zegra, but Gamera defeats the deep sea monster, playing his dorsal fins like a xylophone. Xanon then sends the monster Virus, but Gamora defeats the undersea monster by flying him into the atmosphere and freezing him. After Keiichi has a dream where Gamera flies into space with a flying battleship, Xanon sends the monster Jigar to defeat Gamera. But to no avail as Gamera defeats the giant space monster. Disappointed with her efforts, Xanon is going to punish Kirogi, but she suggests another tactic. Controlling Gamera! A control box is placed on his neck and Gamora rampages, destroying a dam. Only through a heroic effort by Kilara is the box accidentally destroyed by Xanon. Gamera then heads off to Xanon's monster staging planet where he battles Girin. Like all the others, Gamora defeats the giant evil monster. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Kirogi takes the fight directly to the spacewomen, battling Kalara hand to hand in a park. Wounded by her own weapon, Kirogi recuperates at Keiichi's house, with his mother suggesting that she could be his new sister? Finally, Zanon sends the monster Barrigan, who freezes everything in his way, but Gamera is able to overcome the chilling monster. Zanon, frustrated at his lack of success, makes ready to attack directly. Kirogi, now on the side of the angels, sacrifices herself to Xanon's laser attack to spare the space limit. Gamera then flies into space, crashing directly into Xanon's ship, destroying it and sacrificing himself in the process. Back on Earth, Kaichi is sad for Gamera, but a flight through the city helps cheer him up. Well, that was a long, strange trip to the end of the show, Gamera series. Let's get right into the notes. Now, I mentioned New Dai, and uh, so here's the deal with that. So after filing bankruptcy in 1971, which you'll recall we talked about in our episode about Gamma vs. Zegra, Dai was purchased in 1974 by uh, Takuma Shoten. Gamma super monster was their eventual attempt to either revive the series or as a simple cash grab on the part of Nudai. This depends on which source you read. I've seen both of these thrown out there. Either way, the film was a commercial and a critical disaster, and Gamera would then sit dormant for 15 years. The opening scenes of the film betray the um, inspirations for the film, let's say. The credits are done in a very pseudo-Superman-the-movie style, with the credits flying around in space. Then we transition to that, to to Zanon's ship, which is as close as one can get to a Star Destroyer without getting a cease and desist letter. Like, seriously, we we even get the overhead uh, Star Destroyer shot from the beginning of Star Wars. It flies right over the camera. Our story uh, takes a while to get going as we are introduced to the space women and Kirugi. Now, Kirugi has a great scene when she's introduced. She comes down to Earth and changes um, through some technology so she looks like a changes her clothing to blend in, and uh, she is approached by a couple of, you know, late 70s, early 80s players, and she stuns one of them with her shocking touch. This was legitimately funny to me, that he starts shaking, and, uh, you know, like he's all paralyzed because uh, he tried to, uh, you know, she, she puts her hands on him and, and shuts him down. The stock footage starts pretty early, and amusingly, the Gauss stock footage itself features stock footage of the JSDF on aerial maneuvers. Again, way back, we covered Gamma vs. Gauss, and I talked about the use of JSDF jet fighter stock footage, which helps sell the realism. So I don't mind it. I just thought it was funny that they stock footage, stock footage. Um, Meanwhile, and right around this time, we also explore the brief relationship between Keiichi and his pet turtle, a boy and his pet turtle, you know, exactly like the original, which I thought was either a, a really... Nice touch, or an incredible coincidence? I'm going to fall on the side of nice touch, that they included that sort of relationship between a young boy and his pet turtle, because that did remind me a lot of the original. Uh, The space women henshin, or transform, with an elaborate series of hand gestures, but sadly the space women are fairly ineffectual as superheroes. They specifically say that they can't stop Gauss, and they take no action against Xanon, because whenever they transform, Xanon can target them with his laser. So they transform, he shoots at them with the laser, and they transform back. So I'm not really sure what purpose they serve. They don't do a whole lot. Uh, the two plots are not really connected in any way here. Around this time, we see the new Gamera prop. And uh, there's two. We'll talk. So basically, they, they created a new Gamera prop that's a flying prop, and they also created a new Gamera suit, which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. So the new prop, it's not great. It's well sculpted. It looks nice in static shots, but static is the optimum word. It's very static. It only has a repetitive chomping motion of its teeth for movement. Otherwise, it, the, the arms are completely static. Uh, the head's completely static. All that. At least we do get something new in this film that is otherwise utterly made up of, of stock footage for camera. And like I said, it does look good in, in still shots, but in motion, it's it's not super impressive. Uh, the gauss battle it's edited together from both of the fight scenes from the original film uh, although it does have different music and we'll see that there's different music for all the fight scenes in in this film it's fun to see a sort of highlight reel of this classic battle many many fans do consider gamma vs. gauss to be the best of the showa gamma films it is certainly one of the better ones I'll so grant it that i've always been a fan of of barrigan more than but than gauss but there's nothing wrong with the with the stuff in gauss I and mean, again it's it's nice to see those effects again Keiichi expresses concern that Gamera's battle with Gauss was not in the papers. And his mom dismisses all of it as just his imagination. Could the implication here be that none of this is real? That would make sense with this insane story about space women and pirates with giant spaceships. And we see some stuff later where that will also kind of fill into this. But the other details including later when Kirogi meets with Kiichi's mom, suggests that Xanon may in fact be simply controlling the news media. So I don't know what's going on, which is easier to believe that this is all um, imagination of a little boy, you know, imagining his pet turtle growing into camera and fighting all these monsters, or that somehow from his spaceship, uh Xanon is able to exert influence over the mass media. I don't know which is more unrealistic, to be honest. I mean, or which, which is more realistic. I mean, who knows? I, I kind of lean towards the former, that, that a lot of this isn't real. And that this is Kaichi's mind filling in the gaps of his ima- with his imagination. And what's interesting is that if you go with that explanation, it does thematically tie this stronger to the film it most commercially resembles, which is All Monsters Attack or Godzilla's Revenge, with a little kid and a bunch of stock footage. Again, there's nothing in here to really suggest that. That's just kind of my reading of it. But I'd be interested to what uh, your listeners think about that, if there's any merit to what I'm saying or if I'm just talking out of my rear end here. Next up is the Zegra fight, which, quite sadly, excises the best bit, which is where uh, Zegra grows giant in the frame. I remember we talked about that where he's uh, one size and then he swims in front of gamma and just starts growing, uh, being adjusting to the pressure, uh, uh, the undersea pressure being different on Earth. Otherwise, it's a good edit of the battle. Um, I'll also mention that the monsters uh, are introduced with an on-screen title, not unlike you might see in a, uh, an anime or a tokusatsu series, where the first time a character appears, they get an on-screen title. The English versions of these titles are what I use in the synopsis, so Zegra being the deep-sea monster, for instance. Um, also worth noting is that in the English dub, Keichi cheers on Gamera to literally burn Zegra to death. Burn it to death, Gamera! I'm not making this up. It's uh, a bit excessive, but hey, you know, it was 1980. I guess it was a different time, right? Now, this sequence is followed shortly by the Virus battle, which is mostly intact. Of course, there's only really the one fight with Verus, so that, that helps a bit. Uh, it is nice that they put the two aquatic foes back-to-back. I thought that was interesting. In fact, Hirogi makes a point of that, that Xanon will attack from the sea. That that's the, uh, the next step. So I thought that was, uh, that, that was a nice bit of uh, arrangement of that scene. Now, after Virus, we're followed up with Keiichi's Dream, where Gamera interacts, in a way, with the space battleship Yamato. This is achieved by superimposing Gamera over actual anime footage. Now, this part at least is specifically a dream. I mean, we see Keiichi go to sleep, and then this sequence plays out, and it's a dream. Now, shout out to uh, Gene Hendrix and Dr. Bill. When is the Anime Freaks coming back, boys? Just asking. I had a lot of fun when I guessed it on that, talking about Space Battleship Yamano. Up next is the Jiger footage. Now, obviously, not the very end with the obelisk and all that. It's still pretty astounding to, uh, to me how good. That late film in this series looks compared with both its predecessor, Gamera vs. Guren, and its follow-up, Gamera vs. Zegra. I was reading some stuff about this with that Arrow box set, the Gamera box set that came out, that apparently Jiger did have something of a larger budget than those two films, and it definitely shows. It's a very ambitious film, and again, it, it plays really well, just taking the bits and pieces that we get here. Now, of course, there's a lot of that film that they don't use. Uh, the baby Jiger injected into Gamera. the Gamma being frozen—not frozen, but like um, I guess he's sort of frozen. They they shut down his heart and all that. So there's a lot of that stuff doesn't get used, but the actual just fight between Gamera and Zegra is nice, and we do get some scenes of of Jiger, not Zegra, of Jiger's rampage also, where we get to see his beam that uh, that's, uh you know dissolves the flesh off of people. So there's a good use of the the Jiger footage. After that, we get to the sequence where Gamma is controlled. Um, and this uses the the idea from Gamma versus Virus with the control box on his neck, but as part of the sequence, we get the the damn attack from Gamma versus ba- Berrigan. This scene is one of the absolute best in the entire series, so its inclusion is very welcome to me. That doesn't bother me in the least. We also get some new footage of Gamera stomping along. This is that new suit that I mentioned, and this suit was only really used, not really, only used for this scene. That's apparently how, um, I don't know if the suit was just unimpressive, or difficult, or just couldn't afford it, or whatever, but it's only used for this scene, and we only see it from the lower half. We only see its legs. Now, as Gamera is stomping by, he knocks over a billboard for a, gu- I mean, a Dojira film. <laughs> Sayonara, Dojira. A jab at Toho, because Godzilla had been inactive ...for five years at this point from Terror of Mechagodzilla. It is kind of funny they take a shot, but, you know, it's like it's not exactly uh, uh, that, that that this film was a success... ...because Gamera would disappear for 15 years, whereas Godzilla would be back four years later with Return of Godzilla. Now, the mental control scene also uses footage of Gamera's Rampage from the original. Now, I like how they do this. It is tinted and shown on a TV screen, like it's uh, news footage... Not a bad technique, all told, as a way to use that footage from the black and white film without having to simply just make the film black and white. So it's only a, a little bit that we get to see, but it is nice to be included, so we do get footage from all of the Gamma films. And again, if, if you're going to have to use black and white footage, this seemed a pretty creative way to, to cover that up. The space women then analyze Gamera to find the control box. And we get an image of Gamera's internals via a cross-section. Now, uh, Daikaiju fans are very familiar with these. I've seen these for years where uh, it's like a biological cross-section drawing where you'd show the internal organs of a creature. But here, it's a monster, so they're all fictional internal organs. So I just thought that was nice. And I've always liked those, and I know there's been—I've seen a lot of those for the Gamera monsters specifically. I know they, that I've seen them for others, but the Gamma ones were the ones I always remember seeing— Like when I was first getting on the internet when I was in college, those were the ones that were more commonly found. So that one did, that that brought a smile to my face, seeing its inclusion here in a film. Now after the control box gets destroyed, we get the best new scene in this movie, hands down. As Kilara and Kirogi fight, okay, in the park. Now Kilara is played by a Joshi Pururasa wrestler, a female, uh, Joshi Pro is female wrestling, Japanese female wrestling but Mak Fumiyaki. So this fight, it's pretty boss. I mean, they're really going at it. First off, they fight in heels, which is always impressive. And at one point, Kirugi rips off her skirt to fight in her hot pants. Meow! I was on board with that. It is a really good fight. Again, for as goofy as this film is, there's actually a little bit of nice stuff lurking in here. And it's like, if we had had more of this kind of... I, I wouldn't go so far as to say... Uh, you know, Hong Kong style, but it's, it does kind of approach that. But if we had had more of this type of footage in here for the space women, the the, the film might be more enjoyable, I think, because this is this is really entertaining stuff. Um, now, after that fight, Gamera flies off to Terra to battle Giran. This is the only way to use this footage, that Gamera has to fly to another planet, considering how the footage looks in, G- in Gamma vs. Giran. Uh, but this kind of breaks the already in a narrative it's like why is he flying to this other planet to then fly back to earth yeah i know i know um we do get the highlights of the battle though including the gymnastics bit which is classic so have to have to applaud that um we also get another anime mashup with gamma flying after the galaxy express 999 uh, confession time i've heard this show is great but i've never seen it Now, I will say it is on Crunchyroll, so maybe, just maybe, I might actually be able to watch a few episodes of Galaxy Express at some point. Now, after that fight, we see uh, Girugi wake up in bed next to Keiichi. Uh, Okay. And then then his mom comes in and says, Oh, oh, he was just worried about you. She That that you can be Keiichi's sister. Um, Yeah, let's just move on, because this does not translate well. Right now. I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. Up next is the Baragon footage though. So Baragon, you know, I said he's my favorite of the Gamera foes. So I was happy to see this. Uh, saving my favorite for last. I'm down with that. That's cool. Now, in my opinion, this is overall the best Showa Gamma effects footage. Even seeing all of it in one, one fell swoop, seeing it all in the context of this movie, this stuff really holds up and we get to see a, a good portion of their, of their fights. And, uh, uh, and it's always so moody, you know, because those fights take place at night, and uh, they're not, like, really well-lit like a lot of the other ones. So they, it just looks moody and atmospheric, and it, they play really well here. But unfortunately, with the defeat of Berrigan, uh, all the monster footage has been exhausted, so it's time to end this. And the ending we get makes no sense. Okay, Kirugi sacrifices herself for seemingly no reason, as Gamera was not anyway being stopped from attacking Xanon, So Xanon's like, oh, I I will make my final attack. And she says, oh, shoot at this location. That's where they're at. But he's giving her location and she sacrifices herself. Um, There's no reason that she could have just said, oh, I I don't have them and have Gamera fly off and destroy the ship. I mean, other than I guess because she's evil, she has to sacrifice herself. But she had already, you know, been redeemed or was on the path to redemption. And so she just sacrifices herself for no reason. And then when Gamera does attack Xanon's ship, it's via that static prop. So it's kind of less than exciting. It mostly just it keeps cutting between the two of them, zooming in closer on, on the ship and on Gamera as it does. It, it could have been a lot more interesting if that prop had been a little more visually dynamic. I mean, if New dai was trying to start a new series, killing the star seems a strange approach, doesn't it? If you want to make new Gamera films, why would you have Gamera die? When he was destroying Xanon's ship, why not have Gamera survive that attack? But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think I'm probably overanalyzing all this. Now, in closing, yeah, this movie is as strange and bizarre as its reputation. Sorry, but if you were expecting a call for this movie to be reevaluated, like I've seen some of my fellow Daikaiju fans champion all monsters attack in the last, uh, mostly in the last year or so, nope, sorry, not gonna happen today. Uh, Gamera Super Monster is a hard watch. The new footage grinds the film to a halt, except for that fight. Uh, but all the other stuff of just the space women going back and forth, and Keiichi and them talking, and he plays the organ at one point. It's, it just, no, it, it doesn't work well. It's, it's amateurish. And the story could have been bananas nuts, you know, But the, when you, when you tell someone the story, it's like, oh, that must be crazy. But it ends up just being kind of leaden. It doesn't go anywhere. Stock footage is great, of course, but it can't overcome the, the just dull new footage. It's almost fitting that the Showa Gamera series already, which already was fairly strange, would end in such an outlandish fashion. I mean, if you're going to go out, I guess go out as crazy as you can, right? Now, if you would like to own a Gamera Super Monster, you can still find that Shout Factory double feature DVD, which is, pairs it with uh, Gamma vs. Zegra on Amazon. As well as the uh, Blu-ray four-pack from Mill Creek, this is the Volume Gamma Volume Two uh, four-pack, which has the back half, so it has Urin, Jiger, Zegra, and Supermonster. Uh, but these are in short supply. I checked them today as I'm recording, and they are still available, but it does say only X a number left. So if you want those, please go get them. Uh, incredibly, the Elvira's Movie Macabre double feature. Which also features a came from beyond space, also available on Amazon. Now, most of those uh, Elvira films, you can watch them without her little snide comments here and there, but I'm not sure on that one. But if you want, I mean, I love Elvira, so that's that'd be a, that'd be okay. I'd be okay with that one. Now, sadly, the Arrow Gamera box set that I referred to earlier is showing as currently unavailable and sold out. Although Arrow has indicated that a non-special edition, just the disc, might be on the way we have not had a confirmation one way or the other although rumors uh this past week are suggesting we may hear something and the first stages of october so if we do hear something i'll be sure to mention it in the news in the next episode Uh, and if you absolutely must watch it and you don't want to do it you can find it on an archive on the internet just saying if you search so uh, so what are your thoughts folks are is this a uh uh, and is, is this a true classic that's just waiting to be understood properly? Is this just complete schlock? What is your opinion? I'm, I'm interested because, see, I remember this one. I remember watching this one on like a Saturday morning when my brother and I were at, my dad was at the gym working out that we used to go to when, when we were kids. And then my, my brother and I were just, were staying in the little uh, childcare area, but there was no one there. Like there was no... Supervision. This was the eighties. And it just happened to be on like either channel eleven or channel nine or something. And I remember watching it think this is crazy. You look at all these monsters. Uh, but then I hadn't seen it in years and years and years after that, so I you know, I, I thought all the gamma films were this crazy. And no, they're 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 slightly less crazy, but they also make more sense. But I'm interested in everyone else's thoughts, so uh, you please send me an email, Earth Directive at Yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it, and we could talk about it here on the show. Alright, we're going to take a quick break and be right back to finish things up here on Earth Destruction Directive.
3: This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The short box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked.
0: Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners
3: and the great feats of editing not yet performed.
0: And this is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this U- of how they spoke
3: at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators, ...before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller... ...is at the height of his creative... ...and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing... ...to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase... ...is part of the relatively... ...geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family.
0: All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive, and it's time for a little bit of... Listener feedback, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter, just listen to the outro, and uh, we'll have all the information for you. So let's get right into our emails. Our first email comes from the aforementioned Adam Tebow, my good friend, and uh, Adam writes with the subject SNK, King of the Monsters. Hey Luke, loved your episode on Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster and your announcement about the next episode brought up some memories I wanted to share. I don't have any experience with SNK's King of the Monsters, but one of my earliest memories is playing a Commodore 64 game called the Movie Monster Game. In that game, you control Godzilla and other giant monsters from other companies with the serial numbers filed off. Think not the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. The goal is to stomp around a city and cause as much destruction as possible while fighting off soldiers and tanks and such. I remember Tiny Adam spending hours stomping cities flat on my dad's Commodore 64. In fact, this memory and the desire to recreate it is what got me into the retro computing hobby. Nowadays, I have a vintage C64, a disk drive, and an original copy of the game. The game doesn't quite hold up to the memory, but it's still a fun way to kill an hour or two. Keep up the good work and keep em stomping, Adam Tebow. Adam, thank you very much for writing in. Folks, I have seen Adam's retro computer room. It's no joke. It is no joke at all. That is some, he he is, he is not kidding. He does have a lot of retro computers and, uh, I think it's awesome. His wife, maybe not so much, but you know what? The, the admiration of your peers is really what you're shooting for, isn't it? So, uh, but yeah, I, I've never played the movie monster game, but I remember reading about that on Toho Kingdom of all places. TohoKingdom.com has a whole section of Godzilla video games and they talk about that game. And it's exactly like you say that it has other monsters but it's like XP versions of them, right? That's what we're supposed to call them. Uh, so that was really cool. Next time I'm over, we we'll will have, have to take a look at that. Because I never had a Commodore 64. And in fact, I didn't know anyone who did when I was a kid. And when I was growing up, it was NES... For everybody, and then me and my friend Gerard had Master Systems, and that was it. So, but nobody had a, a C64. So that is an area that I really don't know much about. So I've I've enjoyed learning more about it, and I do appreciate that. That is really cool. It just goes to show that uh, there's something inherently fun about controlling a monster in a video game and smashing things. It's just it's just every kid wants to do that at some point, right? Thank you very much, Adam, for writing it. Our next email comes from Nathan Marchand and is entitled Reign of the King of the Monsters. And Nathan writes, Hey Luke, greetings from Monster Island. Hey Nathan, I'm I'm glad you were able to get an email past the board of directors out here to the mainland. Uh, I just listened to your episode... On the SNK game, King of the Monsters. First, I have to say I'm happy to meet another American SNK fan. They are few and far between. As a fighting game aficionado, SNK's library is just as important to the genre as anything by Capcom and the like. And let me jump out here. I agree. You know, when I was growing up um, in the, when I was like a preteen, the early 90s, and then a teenager in the in the mid-90s. I always remember seeing, like, Fatal Fury and Art of Fighting in the video game magazines when they were coming to the Genesis. Because I had a Genesis. I still do have that same Genesis, actually. And I never really saw them in the arcade. I only remember seeing games like King of the Monsters on the, uh, or maybe Metal Slug on the MVS, on the the, the multi-video system boxes. But those fighting games, I was always intrigued by them because I'm always a guy that looks for something that maybe is less popular. I'm sometimes... I'm sort of sometimes a lot of times put off by the thing that's the most popular. And so when everyone, I mean, I love street fighter two, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of street fighter two, big fan of Capcom fighting in general, but I was always looking for that other, you know, that, that, that alternate option. Right. And that's what SNK was. And when fatal fury special, when I got that for the game gear, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with fatal fury, which is my, that was my end to SNK fighting. And that's what got me into art of fighting. Got me into king of the fight, uh, king of fighters. And I'm still a fan of those to this day. You know, I that that first, I said that first simple Game Gear one, uh, ported by Takara, just like King of the Monsters was ported by Takara to Genesis. That's what did it for me, and I'm still a big fan of them to this day. So uh, I know Nathan's been um, him and I've been going back and forth on Twitter a little bit about SNK. So it's really good to it's always fun to talk to an SNK fan here in the in the West. Nathan continues, you'll be happy to know that while I listened to your episode on this arcade classic that I downloaded it onto my PS4, I played the SNES version before and maybe the arcade version once, but I figured it was time to add it to my library. I played it for a few minutes and while I admit I was just goofing around and not taking it seriously, Woo created the end of King Kong vs. Godzilla with my gaon. That being said, it's very likely you'll see me stream a session of this game on Monster Island Film Vault Twitch channel. Who knows? I may even have my intrepid producer. Jimmy from NASA, Jimmy, Jimmy, in the live chat to provide color commentary and jumping out. Yes, in fact, um, um, I know that Nate has done, I don't know about Twitch, um, either Twitch or YouTube. I know there was some question on the technical side, but if you uh, check him out on on Twitter, you'll be able to, to see him put up that uh, he is streaming. I can't do it because I only have a Switch light. I would love to stream myself uh, yelling at the screen, get up, get up, as you desperately pound the button so that you don't get pinned by Poison Ghost or whomever. <laughs> Nate continues, speaking of streams, while I was part of another Dai Kaiju podcast a few years ago, I dropped a Kai- I dropped from Kaiju Trivia Bombs while Francisco Ruiz streamed the game on YouTube. Here's a link to the video. I will try to get this link uh, on the uh, show notes. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to put on my board of directors mandated bubblegum pink jumpsuit. It's as embarrassing as it sounds and get to work on the next episode of Monster Island Film Vault. Sayonara. Sincerely, Nathan Marchand, host, curator of the Monster Island Film Vault. Well, you know what? I like pink very much, Lois. That's all I have to say about the, about wearing pink. Actually, in all seriousness, uh, I, have, uh, I have two daughters and both of them do like pink. And you know what I always say, anytime I, um, somebody gets a pink cup and they don't like it, one of the boys gets a pink cup and they don't like it, I always say that one of the toughest dudes I ever met wore pink his entire career. I'm talking about Brett the Hitman Hart, who I met when I was in high school, and uh, he wore pink, so I don't have really a problem with pink, but... Uh you know, hey, you, know, you got to do what you got to do. It's the cost of doing business, right? Nathan, thank you very much for writing in. Again, if you would like uh, to write in and be part of the show, uh, Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com. Now, I also need to give a shout out to my, uh, all the love, all the likes, retweets, shares that I got on social media. Uh, and that for this last episode came from Brian Severe, Tim Elliott, Gene Hendricks, Adam Tebow, my brother, Jason Giaconetti, Robert Ludwig the Most Sane Man Among Us, uh, Sandra Demasi. Derek William Crab of the Fanholes Podcast, Willie LaClumus, AKA Lomax, Bob Hansen, David A. Pascarella, uh, James Capoza, Robert Ward, Trevor Daly, Sean Foster's, uh, the Rad Adventures Network, da- Ruth and Darren, Warlord Worlds, the Collected Editions Podcast, Kaiju Samurai eighty five, Kyoe Toshi, Nathan Marchand and Jimmy from NASA. Together they are the Monster Island Film Vault. Bro Rad. Coffee and Comics. Billy D. A.K.A. Doc Strange. Two True Freaks. Brian T. Alexander. Scott Schmidt. Vagon 23. Kirk Spencer. Big Five Army. Ichi the Classy. Fanholes Podcast. The Kaiju Apostle Podcast. And Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Thank you very much for all the social media love. Really helps the show get out there. Gives everybody, it uh, uh, helps spread the word, and I do appreciate that very much. So now we get to the point in the show where we have to always look forward. You know, we, we do look backwards on this show, but we also have to look forward. So, what is next time? So, we are going to be shifting gears a little bit. We're going to be shifting from Gamera back to Godzilla and shifting from film to comics as we are taking a look at another IDW Godzilla miniseries. We are taking a look at Godzilla. In Hell, a very unique series with uh, some very interesting creative choices in it. Uh, I remember liking this one quite a bit when it was coming out because it is so offbeat. So eager to take a look at it again. Uh, Definitely going to be uh, be looking into this one. Like I said, I remember this one being one that stood out just because um, there's a few things about it, like I said, creatively that are that are different from some of the others. But we'll talk about that next time. Of course, any news or new developments on Godzilla vs. Kong or any of the indie films we talked about, or anything else, even maybe that new uh, the new release of the Arrow, the stripped-down version of the Arrow uh, Gamera box. All that stuff we'll cover. If you've got any any news or anything, please send it in, and we'll, we'll talk about it here. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about Rise of Ultraman. I should have my copy of it by that point. Uh, it's Ultraman number one, anyway. Uh, but uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll cover that next time. would like to take this opportunity to say that earth destruction directive is for everyone if you are interested in giant monsters if any part of giant monster uh culture for lack of a better term has spoken to you and interested you then you're welcome here and you can be a part of this show however you want to be uh all are welcome here and i'd like to take this opportunity also to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show i really appreciate it Uh, i've said it many times a podcast is a labor of love a labor of love a labor of love, easy for me to say. I got BV confusion there. I'm, I'm really uh, leaning in today. I got BV confusion. Uh, maybe giant monster Baron will show up, and Birasu. Uh, but now, now I'm just now I'm just saying words. But anyway, uh, it's a labor of love, and so that all that feedback, all that uh, signs of appreciation of what we're doing, it's all really appreciated, and it means so much to me uh, that I'm able to share my love of giant monsters with everyone out there in podcast world. So thank you very much for downloading and listening. Please come back next time for Godzilla in Hell, and until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at two twotruefreaks.com.